Grab your popcorn and snacks. Find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Hey everybody, welcome to California Haunts Radio. How's everybody doing tonight? I guess you're doing okay. So I hope you're okay. Raise your hand if you're doing okay. See, I can see you all out there. It's all, it's all good. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Charlotte, and I'm going to be your host for the next hour. And uh, again, I want to welcome you all. I'm really excited to be here. We have a great guest lined up for you tonight on a topic that uh, I'm really fascinated with, and that's forensics. So we're going to be talking forensics tonight with Harry A. Millman. Celebrity Forensics, too, okay? Anyway, you can find us at CaliforniaHauntsRadio.com. All of our videos are there. In fact, we're probably going out live right now there. And my paranormal group is California is the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team at www.CaliforniaHaunts.org. You can check us out there as well. We're 35 strong up and down the state of California, Oregon, Washington, Hawaii, and Nevada. Now, what are you guys doing on February 19th or 20th? Nothing? Great, because I'm going to be somewhere, too. I have a place to go, and I'd like to invite you to come, too. All right? I'm going to be, I'm going to be a speaker at the, at the Mystic Minds Convention in San Jose on February 19th and 20th. But I'm not the only speaker. That's what makes it fun. Additional speakers are going to include Nazir Mohammedic Chohan. I knew my mouth was going to get messed up on that one. Lorian Fenton, Brad Olson, Michael Fury, Drake Fury, Tiffany Turner, Robin Korak, Beth Sullivan, um, and Shannon D. Florentino. And in addition to that, we're all going to be talking about the paranormal, okay? But what's cool about it is it's not only about the paranormal, it is also about pagan stuff, and it's also about metaphysical. So you're going to get a big round table of stuff. So it's, so it's a meeting for everybody that, that's into some different stuff. And then there's also going to be some roundtable talks. So uh, be sure to visit their website at mysticalmindsconvention.com and book your book your spot because it's going to be a fun event. Again, that's February 19th and 20th in San Jose. Now, back to business. Meanwhile, back to business. Okay. So tonight we've got a great guest. Like I said, uh, Harry A. Millman. And I'll let him tell you about himself so we can get in, in so we can really learn what goes in, you know, what goes into all, all the toxicology with uh, Celebrity Desk, because I'm fascinated about learning about that stuff. But he's got an interesting background. So without further ado, let me just do this so I can stop botching it. <laughs> Hello, sir. Well, hi hi there. Uh, thank you very much for inviting me today. It's uh, very, very, I'm very excited to be here. Um, you asked me to, uh, to kind of give a little bit of uh, information about uh, me and my background. Yes, sir. Uh, and uh, so just uh, for your listeners, uh, you know, if you asked me back in high school, what do you want to do when you grow up? I, I would have said uh, electrical engineer because I was good in math and, and I enjoyed electricity. But life takes you in mysterious ways. And I wound up in, in the biological sciences. And by now I have a Ph.D. in pharmacology, which is pharmaceuticals and uh, lots of experience in cancer research and toxicology, both of the National Institutes of Health, uh, National Cancer Institute, as well as the Environmental Protection Agency. 
And for the last 23 years or so, I've been testifying in court as an expert in toxicology and cancer. So uh, if I will go on, then uh, I will just tell you that um, uh, so my experience has all been in cancer and toxicology, both on the regulatory and research side. And, and now for the last 25 years or so, I've been testifying in court as an expert. And, uh, and uh, the cases that I get involved with are primarily uh, mostly civil, but also some criminal cases, both uh, uh, medical malpractice issues, drug overdoses, uh, toxic effects of chemicals, as well as um, various criminal kind of cases and high profile cases, which I uh, cannot discuss today. Um, but uh, and in, in doing that, I, I review a lot of records and I review autopsy records and police reports and medical records and circumstances of uh, you know what happened, the exposure, chemical exposure, drug overdoses, that sort of thing. Okay. And about, about eight years ago, uh, I uh, came up with the bright idea of writing my uh, a book, my first book uh, called A Death at Camp David. And uh, that took me about two years worth uh, of uh, work. And uh, after two years, I said, thank God it's over. It was too much work, too much effort, too much uh, 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 time consumption. And then I had my first book uh, signing event and uh, at, at Barnes & Noble here in, in Maryland. And, uh, and then I sold out and people asked me, what are you gonna write next? And I never, I didn't have, a, a, I didn't have any plans to write anything else because it took me so much time, but I wrote a second one and now I wrote uh, a third one, which was recently published called For Forensics, The Science Behind the Deaths of Famous People. And, uh, and you can find that book on uh, various online stores, including Amazon, Barnes and Noble, uh, Kobo, iTunes, uh, uh, Bookswagon, many other, many online stores, uh, and, uh, and, and I've also been having book signing events at various Barnes & Noble, primarily uh, across the country. Tell me about doing the forensics, like, like for celebrities. I mean, when you know it's a celebrity, the, the, is it treated differently than, than just a normal person? So, um, so, so no, uh, what, what I did for this book, I basically, I reviewed uh, a lot of records and, and autopsy records and, and, and lots of other uh, information in order to uh, identify the science behind the deaths of these very famous people. Okay. And, and of course, uh, the, uh, Famous people, uh, when you really come down to it, we're all we're all the same, and uh, and so they're all being treated just like anybody else, and uh, and just to give you an idea, when I uh, as I mentioned, I wrote the first one, a death at Camp David. It was uh, my first book. It was a murder mystery, and then the second one was another mystery, and and then the third one, when I came to write forensics, at that time uh, I. I heard on the news that Carrie Fisher, the uh, uh, we all know as the actress from Star Wars, that she had a medical emergency aboard the plane, uh, and then uh, they had an emergency landing in Los Angeles. Three three days later, she died in a in a hospital, and the and when I uh, followed that case and I saw that the 
coroner determined that she died from sleep apnea, but they didn't do an autopsy. Mm-hmm. Then I then I I never knew that sleep apnea can kill you. Sleep apnea, for those of you who, who do not know, it, it's when you uh, when you uh, momentarily stop breathing for a few seconds. Uh, Within a few seconds, you, you start again, but and then a number of ways that you can treat that. But that's basically the problem that uh, you, you stop breathing for a few seconds. And, uh, and she's been suffering from sleep apnea. And uh, so it was nothing new. And then, and then she had this, what they call a med- medical emergency aboard the plane, where she slump, slumped over on her, uh, sh- the shoulder of her uh, woman next to her. And, um, and and stop you know stop breathing whatever and 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 at, at any rate the coroner determined that she died from sleep apnea and without doing an autopsy so when I heard that um, I looked further into that case and that gave me the idea about looking into uh, twenty two other celebrities deaths and that's how the book came about so just to give you an idea some of the people in the book include marilyn monroe elvis presley michael jackson whitney houston robin williams carrie fisher many others and uh and and the interesting thing about doing this kind of research about these celebrity deaths is that you find out not only about how they died and what caused the death but also that you find out that you know, we, we, we only know these celebrities based on what we see that, you know, we see on television or on show business. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but, but in death, you really find out what they really like through the autopsies. And you find out that they're just like everybody else suffering from the same ailments that anybody else does at that age, at that age group. And so and that's aside from any drug overdoses or anything of that nature. So, for example, the men, who, the older men may have an enlarged prostates, just like everybody else. The women can have fibroids, uh, you know, uh, be, be uh, suffering from fibroids or some other menstrual problems. So, so, you, so it was interesting for me to find out uh, how these people are not only uh, in their own right, celebrities, but also how similar they are to everybody else. And um, <clears throat> if, if 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 you don't mind, I'll give you some examples of some of the cases that I reviewed in the uh, in the book. Absolutely. So uh, so uh, well, let's, since we've, since I brought up Carrie Fisher, let me let me discuss that first. <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> like I said, she uh, she had a medical emergency now. <clears throat> Now, the first impression that the first thought that I had was that Carrie Fisher died from a drug overdose because mm-hmm. she was known to be a, a, a addicted to, to various pharmaceuticals. She talked about it uh, quite, quite uh, openly. And, uh, and so I was surprised that it was sleep apnea. So uh, now the question is, why was an autopsy not done? Well, the family, an autopsy is usually done when the suspicion, a death is a suspicious death, for example, a stabbing or shooting, let's say. Uh, in this case, that wasn't the case. This was a, you know, a, basically a woman uh, having a, a, you know, a medical emergency aboard a plane and, and then dies in the, she dies three days later in the hospital. So a death in the hospital is not suspicious. And, and <clears throat> so, and I, since it's not a suspicious death, the family has 
the option of not doing an autopsy. And in this case, the family decided not to give uh, not to give permission for an autopsy. Now, what well, that what, what does that mean? That means that the coroner cannot one cannot open up the body, and two cannot even take blood samples or urine samples or hair samples or anything of that nature. Uh, so the only way that they can examine the body is uh, so since they can't open it up, they can, they did an X-ray, a uh, CAT scan, if you will, of the body, and, and a CAT scan will only tell you, for example, if there are any uh, uh, anatomical changes that you can see in a CAT scan. It doesn't tell you about, uh, it doesn't give you any information about what's in the blood, for example, or in the urine, and so. Looking at, at, at the CAT scan, the coroner did not see any anatomical, uh, you know, significant anatomical changes that would explain why she died. And again, I just have to remind you that she died three days after her medical emergency. So, so the next thing was uh, to find out what happened was, would be to, uh, to do some uh, toxicology measurements of blood and urine. All right, but again, like I said, you could they couldn't take samples. So, uh, so, so luckily, in some in some respect, luckily, uh, you know, when she went to the hospital, a, a standard procedure in the hospital is that they take uh, blood and urine samples, not not for for uh, figuring out how a person died, but more for how to treat the person. You don't want to find out that there's something in the, you know, that the patient has been taking s some medication or whatever that might interfere with their treatment. Mm -hmm. so, so the hospital had some blood and urine samples left over from, from after, after they did with the various testing that they needed. Okay, but not, not enough to do all the complete testing that is required in order to, to be able to come to a conclusive de decision as to, uh, you know, to any toxic uh, substances that might be in the blood or urine that might have caused the death. So just to give you an example, uh, they found, for example, uh, metabolites of, uh, of uh, uh, cocaine, for example, and, uh, and some other pharmaceuticals that she, she had been taking, okay? But the metabolites only indicate that the, the and not only that, it was in the urine. So when you when you find when you find substances in the urine, it only tells you that at some point in, in the past, the patient, in this case Carrie Fisher, took these certain uh, drugs, or in this case cocaine. But it doesn't tell you when. It doesn't tell you when, and it doesn't tell you how much. So and in this case, it was it was a metabolite, which means that basically the cocaine went through the liver, got metabolized, then got excreted in the urine. Okay, so but what we really need in order to figure out whether cocaine actually called, killed her uh, or, or had anything to do with her death is uh, um, is to find the cocaine in the blood and not only that at high enough levels to cause death and that unfortunately could not be done because there wasn't enough sample to do such testing. So so there was a the, the testing that was done basically on 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 blood and, and urine that was left over from the hospital, which was based, you know, which was taken two to three days before she died, you know, uh, only gave you a certain amount of information, but not enough to make any conclusive uh, decisions as to what, what, what was the cause of her death. So 
this is the uh, and the, the, the takeaway that I want your, your viewers to understand is uh, when we're talking about um, somebody, you know, somebody dying. Uh, if you, if you if you read about it in the, in the newspapers, for example, or you hear about it in the uh, uh, on TV on television. Um, what you hear is, for example, is the person died, uh, let's say it was a suicide, and somebody else would say, no, it was a homicide, okay? What are we talking about here? When we're talking about suicide versus homicide, th that is not for forensics. That, so, for, so basically, we have two, um, two uh, uh, parameters, two concepts that I want you, your viewers to understand. One of them is cause of death, and the other one is manner of death. So cause of death, that's where for forensics comes in. What is the biological mechanism by which a patient, patient or that person died? For example, died from a drug overdose. Well, how does the drug overdose kill you? It kills you by respiratory depression, by inhibiting the, cent the respiratory centers in the brain, causing you to be unable to breathe, okay? And then you die from lack of, lack of oxygen, if you will. And so cause of death is a biological, scientific explanation for how a person died. And that's where forensics comes in, right? Everybody else, everybody seems to be fixated on manner of death. Manner of death, there are four types of manner of deaths. There's uh, a natural death, for example, an accidental death, a homicide, a suicide. And when none of these fit uh, the facts, then it's undetermined. So what somebody might interpret it as an accident, another person will determine it as a, as a homicide, you know, and depending, you know, depending where you come from, well, you know, what, what you'd like to, to, to relate, then that's, that's the conclusion you come up with. But the manner of death is, is based on the forensics information, but it's also, the, uh, first of all, the, the forensics is all by, done by forensic scientists. Manner of death is concluded by a medical physician, a, a, a coroner or a medical examiner who is a physician, an MD. So, and what they do is they take the forensic information as well as information about the circumstances surrounding the death, you know, what happened, you know, any medical records, any police reports, anything else, any other information that they might know. Uh, and then they kind of... Uh, Put it all together and come up with an opinion that in their opinion or their learned opinion i should say uh the manner of death was in, in uh was let's say suicide now in, in carrie fisher's case cause of death the there's no wiggle room you have the they have to decide on what the cause of death is so, like I said, there were a number of deficiencies in, in the analysis because it didn't do an autopsy and they couldn't do a complete uh, toxicology analysis. Mm -hmm. so, so, so they couldn't say that drugs were implicated. They may have, but they couldn't say that because there wasn't information. So, was, so they looked at the whole medical records and they decided, well, she'd been suffering from sleep apnea. She had a sleep apnea uh, episode on the plane that they they deter, they identified sleep apnea as the cause of death all right manner of death they couldn't they couldn't tell you they couldn't determine what the manner of death was because if it was drug related which they couldn't say mm -hmm. uh, so you know there, there were miss, missing information there so in the end they they said the manner of death was undetermined 
Okay, so so cause of death, sleep apnea, manner of death, undetermined. Why? Because they didn't have enough information to make a de- determination whether she, for example, died from an overdose. If okay. she died from an overdose, it would have been accidental. Um, so they, they couldn't say, and they couldn't say it was natural because it, you know there was always that question of whether she, whether drugs were implicated. So uh, and it wasn't homicide, and it wasn't suicide. So uh, so it was basically a toss-up between natural and accidental. And see, since you you don't know because you don't have enough information, they said it's undetermined. So it's just, it's just I don't want to interrupt, but it's just odd because. When you think about sleep apnea, and then you think about they found cocaine in her system, and what does cocaine do? It, it, it dulls that respiratory, which is what sleep apnea is connected to anyway. <clears throat> and so, I mean, the two kind of go hand in hand. Yeah, well, <clears throat> so what you're, what you're doing is you're, you're analyzing based on intuition. You're not analyzing based on facts. Okay. And, and, and there were there's no facts. What what you needed was to see cocaine in the blood at high levels, and 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 you know we didn't have that information, okay. so they came up with undetermined. Uh, so uh, let's go on to another case. This is this this is one case. Uh, another case where there's a lot of uh, you know um, discussion and you know among the public. For example, is Marilyn Monroe, you know. Uh, Marilyn Monroe, you know, the, there was it was there was a, a certain you know on, on, a, on, on a certain day in Marilyn Monroe, she was she was at home home alone with uh, her her uh, her maid was uh, you know was in another room and she was talking to her you know various people during the day. Eventually, speaking to her doctor in the evening, and make make a long story short, sometime in the middle of the night. Uh, about three o'clock in the morning, uh, her housekeeper wakes up and she sees that there's light underneath the uh, Marilyn Rose door, and uh, she tries the door and the door is is locked. The bedroom door is locked, and and she calls out to Marilyn and Marilyn is not answering. So now the housekeeper is concerned. She calls she calls Marilyn's uh, Monroe's doctor, who comes over. This is about three o'clock in the morning. Breaks a window and. And they enter the bedroom through the window and they find Marilyn Monroe uh, dead uh, lying on her bed. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, so uh, j- just quickly, there the, on, on the nightstand are two bottles of medications. One, uh, both of them are sleeping pills. One of them is completely empty and the other one is missing about 40 tablets. Um, now the door was the bedroom door was locked from the inside. There was nobody else in the room, so uh, eventually, and, and I'll and I'll get to the details in a minute. But eventually, they determined that Marilyn Monroe died from a drug overdose, and that the uh, the manner of death was suicide. And and uh, and over the years, there's been lots of discussion uh, in the public saying that. Well, her, uh, her death must have been a homicide uh, because she was involved with the Kennedys. She was involved uh, with the mob, and uh, and uh, some you know somebody must have arranged for her death, if you will. You know, uh, the FBI was after her, and that sort of thing. So, 
and and that's all very you know makes makes interesting story. There's no doubt about it. But the question is, what are the facts? Okay, so the facts are, in Marilyn Monroe's case, they did, they did do an autopsy. All right, so so again, the the anatomical uh, uh, autopsy, the anatomical section, uh, they, they didn't find anything you know wrong with the heart, the, her lungs, or anything of that nature that would have caused her death. All right, and then when they investigate, when they had analyzed the blood and urine, they found. So first of all, I will say that any anything found in the urine, I think I mentioned earlier, only tells you that that drug, let's say, was consumed at some point prior to death, but you don't know when, and you don't know how much, and you don't know how how that amount, how the drug impaired you in, in any impaired the person. So what you really need is. To find out, you know, quantify, identify, and quantify in blood, and and in her case, uh, they they found these two drugs that were on the nightstand um, in her blood at high concentrations, enough to kill you. All right, and how do I know that's enough to kill you? Because you know there have been plenty of studies in the scientific literature that one one looks at and see where that other other people have died from those kind of doses. All right, so. Okay, so now, so so people have suggested, well, you know, she was killed. Um, well, first of all, we know that we know that she was given those drugs. She was she took those drugs orally because you know they they're in those bottles. The bottles are empty, and uh, and it, she wasn't, you know, she wasn't. There was nobody else in the room, and she wasn't uh, force fed, if you will. Okay, and somebody suggested, well. Uh, she must have been injected. Well, at the autopsy, they they examined her whole body with a magnifying glass. They didn't find any any uh, pinpricks, if you will, from from uh, from needles. Okay, so so injection was out of the question. Then somebody else suggested, uh, well, it could have been an enema, uh, you know, and 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 um, you know, rectal. I should say rectally. And again. Uh, there's no, there was no evidence for that. So there's no, there's no question that she died from a drug overdose, and those drugs came from her pills that were on her nightstand. And then the and if, and the room, and there was nobody else in the room, and the door was locked from the inside. So it's, so it's not like you know anybody else could have done it. All right. So, uh, so then the question is, all right. So now we know that it was a drug overdose. And the question is, so that's the cause of death. That's the forensics part, all right? So now the question is the manner of death. Well, the manner of death could be, uh, you can have a drug overdose. Nowadays, they identify a drug overdose uh, as accidental um, if, you know, if you didn't intend, intend to take it, mm -hmm. uh, intend to take an overdose. If it was, you know, basically an accident or sometimes you don't know what you're taking. So... Uh, so and any drug overdose, generally speaking, they consider it an accidental. All right, it certainly wasn't natural. All right, so now basically the the uh, and we decide we, we I think we you know talked about uh, discounting homicide. So now it's between accidental and suicide. So so which one would it be? All right, so so at that moment at that time when she, when she died. Um, and of course, she was a high-profile person. So the coroner, did, you know, there was no. So the first thing you look for is a suicide note. At, you know, if, if you want to say it's suicide, and there was no suicide note. 
All right. So now, so now the coroner was was uh, did not want to take that that leap and call it a suicide without some some support, if you will, scientific support. So so he he uh, organized for a team of psychiatrists and psychologists what they called a uh, a psychological uh, autopsy. They called it. Uh, so he, he, he gathered together a group of high-learned, high you know, well-respected psychologists and psychiatrists to look at all the evidence and come up with a determination, was it suicide or accidental, okay? And they came up with suicide. Why? Because first, like I said, uh, door was, she was alone in the room, door was locked from the inside. Two, she, uh, she has tried it before. She has, on a couple of other occasions, she has tried suicide by taking an overdose of pills before. The difference between then and now is the fact that then she, uh, you know, she was rescued in time. Okay, she, you know, she got on the phone, she spoke to people, whatever it is, I heard about it, they came, they, you know, pumped her stomach, whatever, she was rescued in time. This time, that didn't happen, you know? This. Well, put in other words, this time she succeeded, you know, in committing suicide. Previously, she did not. Okay, so she had a history of trying to commit suicide with pills in the past whenever she felt, um, you know, down for various reasons. And so, uh, so after all is said and done, looking at the totality of the information, uh, the conclusion was it was a suicide. It wasn't accidental. Um, she tried to commit suicide. Um, she wasn't rescued in time because of circumstances, you know, people, I mean, people didn't know about it and, uh, and, and, uh, you know, and basically she, she, she took it intentionally and she succeeded in committing suicide when in the past she did not, you know, so, so she had a history. She, it was an overdose and, uh, and all these factual matters that I spoke about and therefore it was a suicide. So that that's a story with Marilyn Monroe. Uh, <clears throat> I don't know if your uh, listeners have any questions, but otherwise I'll keep going. Um, keep going. Go ahead. Yeah, so, I'm good. They're, they're telling me that they're enjoying this immensely. <laughs> the uh, <clears throat> so so uh, I, let, let's talk about. <clears throat> I'll give you one another example. Let's say, let's talk about Michael Jackson, for example. Okay. <clears throat> so, what do, what do we know about Michael Jackson? Well, what we know about Michael Jackson is what we see on television, what we did see on television, I should say, mm -hmm. uh, or, or in live shows, which was basically you see, you know, a very energetic uh, young man who is dancing and singing and, uh, you know, and, 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 and jumping around and, and, and very hyper and, and great. Well, <clears throat> what you find out at the autopsy is that this young man uh, who, who's doing all that is really 50 years old and he has, uh, he's not as young as he, as, as he seems on stage. Uh, he's in good shape, I should say, you know, physically. Um, uh, his autopsy showed that his heart and you know, everything else was fine. Um, he did, he did have some issues, like I said, that like other 50 year old people uh, might have uh, like, you know, a large prostate, for example. Um, but, but uh, you know, he didn't have cancer or anything like that. And uh, 
So anyway, before before we go further on the autopsy part, um, so what happened was on the on the day that he died, he, he was going to uh, he was rejuvenating his his uh, his uh, career in some manner. So so he had uh, I think fifty sold out concerts in London, and this was the last rehearsal in Los Angeles for that concert. <clears throat> So he's there uh, till about midnight or thereabout, and you know uh, they're going for the show. Everything is great. He's dancing. He's rocking. He's uh, singing. You know he, he has. He, he, he's very excited because he has this part of the act at the beginning is that you know kind of a electron electronic or electrical bulb kind of comes to his hand and then and then flies away. You, you know, some sort of a magic trick in that sense. So he was very excited. Now it's, you know, everything was going well. And, and now he's, he, he, he was driven home. And in the driveway, waiting for him is his personal physician, uh, Dr. Conrad, um, and uh, who, uh, you know, has been treating uh, Michael Jackson primarily for insomnia. So now... You know, I'm not I'm not Michael Jackson by any means, all right. But but I've I, I've been you know in my early years I used to do stand up comedy uh, and so uh, I was I was on stage and I know what it feels like it's in just small manner. I mean, he does it like every night, whatever. But but I in some small manner, I I, I got the feeling of how to be on stage. You're on stage. You're, you're very hyper. You get the the love and adoration from the audience and by the and for me, you know, 12, 12.30, I had to go home because next day I was working. So, but you can't fall asleep, right? Because you're too hyper, you know? And Michael Jackson and, and, and other entertainers, um, that's an issue because usually, you know, by the time that, you know, they are in mind, whatever it is, it's two, three in the morning, the next day they either have rehearsals or they have another show. And so they have to be ready and they have to get their sleep and they can't, right? So uh, they can't because biologically it's just not feasible. You know, you, you, you have to, in order to, to do it correctly, you have to give you a chance, a chance for your body to, to, to unwind, you know, and, and, and slow down. Uh, you know, there's all this adrenaline that's pumping and, and well, so here's Michael Jackson. He was just doing his rehearsal, com coming home at 1230 at night, wants to go to sleep cannot go to sleep. So he asks his doctor uh, to uh, to treat him with uh, a, an intravenous uh, anesthetic called propofol. Propofol is a, is a like I said, an anesthetic that you, 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 it's given intravenously in a hospital situation where, uh, you know, just before surgery, let's say sh short-term surgery, um, so as, as we all know, at least any of us who have gone th through some, some sort of surgery, tonsillitis or tonsils or otherwise, <clears throat> you, you, know, you know that when you are knocked out in, in before surgery, this is not really sleep. This is, right. uh, you know, this is uh, sleep requires REM sleep and, you know, and I'm not going to get into the science of that, but, but it, it, it basically it knocks you out, but it's not really sleep. So you're not necessarily refreshed when you wake up from, from being put down for surgery. So in this case, Michael Jackson has gotten propofol in the past. Uh, so it wasn't anything unusual here for him. 
So he's asking the doctor. Now this is, I'll just kind of go to the end so I can get back to the beginning. And, and the end was basically that the doctor was, was put on trial. And at his trial, we got these transcripts. So what the doctor said was that when Michael asked him to give him propofol, he was, the doctor was reluctant to do that. Uh, so, so instead he gave him a, uh, a, a, a tranquilizer, a, an oral tranquilizer, a pill or two, you know, a couple, a, a dose or two of tranquilizer. And so again, this is in Michael's house. This is not in a hospital. In Michael's house, he gave him a tranquilizer, an oral tranquilizer, half an hour later and 45 minutes later, Michael is still not asleep. So he give him, he gives him another dose. And before you know it, within three, first three, four hours, he gives him about five or six different doses of, of two or three different tranquilizers. And Michael is still not falling asleep. So finally, he gave, the doctor gave in to Michael's demands and gave him the propofol, intravenous propofol at home, uh, administered at home. When, uh, and then, and sure enough, he knocked Michael out, right? And, and now Michael is knocked out, lying there on the bed, uh, or gurney or whatever they had there. And and the doctor, instead of sitting by Michael's side, if you will, and making sure nothing goes wrong, mm-hmm. he goes and makes a phone call. And uh, now he said he thought it was 15 minutes or a few minutes, whatever. And and the fact of the matter is uh, the police, you know, they were able to get the, the phone logs and they found out that he was really gone for about a half an hour making his phone call. So when he came back to Michael's room, Michael is not breathing and basically is dead. And now, because it wasn't a hospital situation, the doctor didn't have the necessary equipment to resuscitate uh, Michael Jackson. So he didn't have the equipment. Didn't you know? He he did he did it. He he administered propofol in a, in an unapproved um, uh, environment. Uh, that is in the home instead of the hospital. He didn't have the necessary resuscitation equipment, um, so so he uh, and and then besides that, he gave propofol, which is an, anest- an anesthetic, on top of the uh, tranquilizer that he had previously given to him. So now the combined effect, which was all found at autopsy because they measured, uh, you know, the blood concentrations of these various drugs. They were all very high, and, and and in this case, not only were the drugs high, uh, the levels were were high, but also because they all had the same pharmacological and toxicological effect. That is to say, depressing the central nervous system and the respiratory centers in the brain. The combined effect was greater than the individual additive effects, if you will. So. So now the, the the drug itself was not necessarily a overdose range, but the combined toxicological effect was enough to uh, depress the respiratory centers and 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 cause the, uh, Michael Jackson's death. Mm-hmm. From combined effect of these various uh, tranquilizers plus the propofol, so the doctor, of course, be, uh, was found guilty, and uh, not only uh, for you know, uh, for causing Michael's death, but also for practicing, you know, all, doing all of this uh, not in a in an approved uh, medical facility, 
And uh, besides losing his license, he wound up in the hot, in uh, in prison uh, for a certain number of years. Mm -hmm. um, so in this case, uh, the you know the cause of death was respiratory depression. The manner of death was homicide, uh, clear homicide. So. Uh, so, and, and again, the autopsy, uh, you know, the, the, the blood work is so, you know, you measured all these substances in the blood and the concentrations, and based on the concentrations, you can, you can, you can make certain conclusions based on what you already know from the scientific literature of other cases. Mm -hmm. and, and the autopsy basically showed that Michael Jackson, uh, you know, he had arthritis issues, uh, in terms of cause of death, there was nothing there. His heart and lungs and everything was fine. But aside from that, based on his on his uh, on his age and his you know type of, of employment, uh, he had arthritic issues. He had a, a large prostate. He people may not know, but he was wearing a wig, uh, not a complete wig, but a partial wig. Uh, so you know what you see is not necessarily what you get. And right. you find out exactly what the person is like at autopsy, you know? Right, right exactly. I had a question about Elvis, because you mentioned Elvis earlier. Now, there's reports out there, you know, by different authors and whatnot, you know, that have supposed, that have allegedly delved into this deeply, that he, he had codeine in his system. So... Is that a question or do you want me, I, I can explain. Can we go over that if you want? I mean, you know. Yes. The, the question is, so, uh, you know, what, what we know, what we know uh, based on the media, okay, uh, we, we see that Elvis was very overweight, right? We saw, we saw that and, uh, and, um, <clears throat> but, the he um so how did he die um i don't know if you know how he died but um basically um he he went to the bathroom and he never came out mm -hmm. i mean that that's pretty much the bottom line and um uh, and and when his wife, um, or, or his, I think his wife or his girlfriend, uh, I forget now, um, when she when she went to the bathroom, she found him on the floor and kind of in front of the commode in a sitting position. All right. So um, and um, so again, they did an autopsy, they did you know the blood work and all that, and they found uh, different medications in the system none of them was an, an overdose range so so you can't necessarily blame any specific drug for causing the death okay but again you don't need to have one drug to be an overdose to cause death you can, you can have several at lower therapeutic even levels uh, as long as they have the same pharmacological and toxicological effect mm -hmm. so that, then they're additive you know then the effect is additive so so in his case, he had um, several tranquilizers and, um, you know, phenobarbital, some of you might, might know these names, um, diazepam, you know, which is Valium, 
um, several, several different types of tranquilizers and sedatives in the system. Um, and, um, and, and, and also um, his, um, um, now aside from that, his heart was enlarged. Mm -hmm. Now, an enlarged heart, and, and now why did he have an enlarged heart? First of all, you know, normally you don't have an enlarged heart. So, so it, it could be natural, yes, but it could also have been years and years of drug abuse, okay? Mm -hmm. That eventually, for, you know, certain drugs will cause your heart slowly but surely to enlarge. And when you have an enlarged heart, uh, that's a risk factor for a heart attack and primarily from an arrhythmia. Arrhythmia, as, as we all know, the heart, you know, pumps blood mm -hmm. to the rest, you know, to the lungs and to the rest of the body. And, and it does that because it gets electrical impulses, um, for, you know, from certain parts of the of the heart to the to the ventricles and the pump, and when when those electrical impulses are disturbed, uh, and then and then the pumping is erratic, that's called an arrhythmia, <clears throat> and and arrhythmia can be caused by a number of factors, including uh, certain certain drugs, uh, for for example, cocaine. You mentioned cocaine, so. Um, so he had he, he had an enlarged heart, which put him already at a, at a risk for an arrhythmia. He also had um, some some significant accumulation of of plaque in his in, in his coronary arteries. Mm -hmm. That means that means that the arteries become narrow, and 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 the blood and the heart does not get enough oxygenated blood to the muscle because the heart because the the arteries are too narrow. Mm -hmm. So so it's so it affects the heart muscle and then and then you also so basically the basically the heart is diseased if you will because it, it now cannot function properly and it might and it's subject to arrhythmias okay so now what happens is so he had these various pharmaceuticals that <clears throat> together could be toxicological but to, but but since they're barbiturates and tranquilizers okay those kind of drugs, um, if you die from a combination of those kind of drugs, you would die from respiratory depression, okay. not from heart, okay. not from a heart issue, from respiratory depression. Okay, he, he, that's not what he died from. What he died from was a heart issue. How do we know that? Well, he was found in the bathroom. So he went to the bathroom, was found in the bathroom in front of the commode, okay? Uh, I don't know if some, some of you have experienced this, but when you're on the commode and you are pressing down, you know, sometimes when you're pressing down, you're putting pressure, you know, through your diaphragm, you're putting pressure on the heart. And if your heart is diseased, like his was, it can uh, initiate an arrhythmia. Okay. So he was sub, he, he was prone to an arrhythmia. He had a large heart. You know his coronary vessels were were um, you know blocked you know with plaque not completely blocked but significantly blocked with plaque so his heart was ready for for some sort of a heart related uh, event and by putting that pressure and since he was found in the bathroom it's, it stands to reason that that's what happened that he because the drugs that he had in the system would not have killed him 
from a heart-related issue. He would have died from respiratory depression, and that's a slower death, if you will. And and here, this was kind of a quick death, and he uh, and he had uh, and it was found in front of the commode, and 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 like I said, pressing pressing down uh, can cause an arrhythmia. It put pressure on the heart, which in turn can cause an arrhythmia. Arrhythmia can cause death, and in combination with uh, atherosclerotic coronary arteries, then you're uh, you know you're you're at high risk now. And that's basically uh, what is uh, you know what, what what happened. So and that's what the coroner concluded. I have a real quick question. If if I said cocaine, I apologize. I meant codeine that he had. Um... That there was a report out that he had taken codeine prior right. to this. So you're right. So he, he you know, he, he had codeine in his system. That's right. And codeine, like like these barbiturates and tranquilizers, basically the same story. It's a respiratory depression. But codeine is a very weak opioid. Okay. It's a, it's a very weak opioid. You know, they even have it in cough syrups now. You know, for, for many years. So. So, so the fact that he had codeine is is not, um, you know, would not have caused him to die. Um, okay. If if anything, like I said, the more the more concern would have been the combination of tranquilizers, barbiturates. But he didn't die from respiratory depression. He died from a heart related event. Absolutely, so, I can understand that. I have congestive heart failure, and I've had ablation done because they had to they had to shock my you know shock those. Those, those those things out of my you know to shut those things down essentially, right? Doing that to my heart, so I, yeah. I understand completely. Well, I, 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 what I'm saying here, I guess, is right up your alley, and and uh, and and I'm, and I'm glad to be of some benefit, at least a small benefit to you in terms of understanding the science. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so, at any anyway, rate, that's basically what happened with uh, with um, uh, Elvis Presley. Um, I, I, I have a question about Michael Jackson real fast from the chat yeah. room. Um, the question was, had he been in a hospital setting, would they have been able to save him? That was the question. Yes. Yes. First of all, they wouldn't have, well, first of all, you know, the, the, the number of issues here, first of all, they wouldn't have given Popperfall to fall asleep. Let's start with that. But assuming that they gave it to him, assuming that they gave it to him for whatever reason, okay, that they, they have the they have the necessary equipment and pharmaceuticals to to uh, to bring him back, you know. And and they wouldn't have left him alone in the room. That's another thing, uh, you know, for half an hour. That that that's a, definitely a no no. The uh, I'll give. I don't know how much more time we have, but keep I think going. we're good. Sorry. Keep going. We're good. Okay, so I, I can give you one more example, and that would be, uh, let's, let's say, Amy Winehouse. Okay. Um, well, before we get into Amy Winehouse, let, let, let's talk about Natalie Wood, uh, okay. because that's another one of those celebrities that pe people seem to have mixed opinions on. <clears throat> so, and, 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 and just between me and your viewers, uh, mm -hmm. Natalie Wood was Marilyn Monroe was my first love. Natalie Wood was my second, and when <laughs> I heard that they both died, it really upset me. So, <clears throat> of course, I was ten years old at the time, so I've uh, <laughs> I've gone through several loves since then. 
See, but, Elvis was mine. So there. <laughs> so Natalie Wood, you know, um, the day she died, <clears throat> okay, so she, it was a Thanksgiving holiday weekend where she and her husband and her co-star were on their yacht mm -hmm. uh, kind of cruising in, in uh, you know, uh, and near California, outside of California, and uh, and make a long story short. Apparently, uh, she and her, so before that, so so they were cruising, and then they stopped over. Uh, they went on shore. They had dinner, a lot of drinking. Came back to came back to the boat. Uh, apparently, she and her husband. Uh, Robert Wagner, uh, another another actor, a good-looking actor. Apparently, uh, they had some sort of an argument. Uh, uh, some other boats heard them them arguing, and make a long story short, about one thirty or so in the morning, um, she she's not on the boat, and uh, you know, Robert Wagner and the couple of other men, you know, they were drinking more, and about one thirty when they went to bed, she wasn't on the boat. And then uh, at some point in the middle of the night, she's still not on the boat. And eventually she's found, um, you know, I believe the following day, um, she drowned, okay, in the Pacific Ocean. Now, how did she wind up in the water? So the, the number of questions, first of all, how do we know she drowned? She drowned because they found, because when they did the autopsy, her, her lungs were filled with water. She was foaming at the mouth. These are all signs of drowning, okay? Um, so there was no question that she, cause of death, you know, scientific explanation, drowning, okay? There's the scientific facts to back that up uh, based on the autopsy, all right? Okay. Um, the, but the question is now, how did she wind up in the water and how do we, and what is the manner of death? And that's, of course, like I said, that is the, that is the manner of death is what everybody, everybody, I mean, the public gets fixated on. Mm -hmm. So uh, some people say uh, accident, other people say suicide, uh, homicide, you name it. And, you know, and when a scientist comes in with, <laughs> A different interpretation to their interest, uh, you know, you get bogged down for it. And and uh, but the fact is, as scientists, we, you know, we talk about science. You know, we talk about we deal with facts. We don't deal with intuition. I have somebody who said, for example, that they know that you know she they had an argument with, with the husband, and he must have pushed her or something like that, and she fell in the water, and you know he is responsible for her death. Well, there's no evidence for that. You know, there's evidence that they had an argument, but lots of people have arguments and, and it doesn't wind up in deaths, you know? Mm -hmm. So you have to have evidence. There's no evidence that, that he pushed he pushed her in the water. And I have some, uh, some things to say about that as well. Um, but at any rate, <clears throat> so when, the, when, when her body was, re was recovered, <clears throat> they, uh, you know, there were a lot of bruises, you know, bruises everywhere. <clears throat> and, uh, and, and, uh, but no, no scal scalp or skull fractures. And, uh, and, 
and like I said, there was the you know water in the lungs, the the uh, fluid and froth, uh, nasal frothing, a lot of clear indications of drowning. Um, now she also had um, thirty percent narrowing of her coronary vessels, uh, and I already mentioned that earlier. That you know it kind of uh, reduces the ability of oxygenated blood to come to the lungs, but it, to the to the heart. But it's well, it was a thirty percent, not enough to have, to have caused death. It's only thirty percent, as opposed to let's say eighty or ninety percent that you find in, in people who die from a heart attack. Um, and uh, and so and then um, and so when you look at the toxicology. Uh, she did have some alcohol in her in her blood. Um, uh, I calculated about seventy five percent more than the current legal limit for drivers in the United States. So the legal limit for drivers uh, uh, to, for driving under the influence of alcohol is 0 0.08, and she had seventy five percent higher than that. So, uh, so let's say about the 0.14 or so. Um, but that is not necessarily one, it's not necessarily unexpected because she, like I said, they went drinking before they, before dinner. So she had this alcohol, but two, um, it, it wouldn't have caused her to die. Uh, that much of a, uh, that amount of alcohol is not sufficient to kill, to kill you, you know, you need somewhere above 0 0.3, 0 0.30, close to 0.4. And in this case, she, you know, she only had about 0.14. So, so, you know, she had alcohol, but not enough, but that amount of alcohol could make you somewhat tipsy. All right. So, you know, uh, just to give you an idea, you know, the kind of symptoms that you might experience, you're obviously going to have, you know, feel giggly and, and happy and, and maybe a little bit woozy and, and it could be tipsy. Now, some of the arguments again from the public is, uh, she wouldn't have gotten in the water because she was afraid of the water. Okay, so she wouldn't have done it by herself. Um, you know that's a good argument, but but there's no there's no evidence that she didn't do it. You know, um, the basically what what so basically what happened was so, so we don't know what happened in the sense that you know there was nobody with her when it happened. But the assumption is the assumption is you know, they had the argument, uh, like I said, she and her husband had the argument and uh, she and she had alcohol in the system. Somehow she wound up in the water. Now, one explanation is that, like I said, she was tipsy and all that. Uh, we know, for example, not only did she get in the water, but the dinghy that, you know, was attached to the, to the, uh, or, or the life, lifeboat, if you will, that was attached to the to the to the yacht uh, was no longer attached. Okay, so so somebody so she just in a you know the scenario is that she tried she unattached it and it was going to go into the dinghy and and you know and, and, and float away or whatever. But but somehow she lost the balance and she fell in the water. Okay, and then all the bruising all the bruising that she she had on her body was because she tried to get into the into the boat and couldn't 
Now the water was cool, so within a certain length of time, she died from hypothermia and drowned. Okay, so the the theory is basically she untied the, the dinghy, tried to get into the boat, lost the balance, wound up in the water, tried to get into into the boat, couldn't, and and eventually you know hypothermia set in and she drowned. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's kind of the theory, and and at that time. The, uh, the the autopsy was done by a Dr. Lee uh, Lee, um, who uh, you know well known. Uh, I'm sorry, not Lee Naguchi, Dr. Naguchi, um, who a well known um, pathologist, uh, and that was his basically conclusion. So his conclusion was um, death by drowning. That's the cause of death, drowning. Mm-hmm. The manner of death, accidental. Okay, all right. So accidental because she felt, you know, there's no evidence, you know, and like I said, the only evidence uh, contrary to accidental is that somebody heard, uh, you know, that they were had an argument, mm-hmm. but that's sufficient. That's not sufficient. Um, and so there's no evidence that it was anything but accidental. And so, um, so accidental um, and she drowned. Now, over the years, Obviously, the you know public was fascinated with with the case. Everybody loved Natalie Wood. You know, mm-hmm. the case opened and reopened and closed and reopened over the years. <clears throat> and uh, there was another. There was a third man on the boat. Her co-star, good-looking guy, must have maybe they had uh, some sort of a thing going together. Natalie Wood. The, all these various uh, stories, not based on facts. Okay, these are just based on intuition and speculation. So after I think about 20 years, so meantime, like I said, drowning and uh, accidental. About 20 years later, they reopened the case and they uh, they opened up a, uh, they had a, another uh, well-known pathologist, Karner, look at all the evidence again and uh, come up, you know, with with his own report and conclusions. Mm -hmm. Okay. And the bottom line is that he he decided that we, he can't, he cannot say that the, uh, that some of the uh, bruising and, and, and uh, that that were found on her body at uh, the autopsy were not caused on the boat. In other words, he couldn't say that they were all closed while she, while she tried to get into the dinghy. Mm-hmm. That, that he, he couldn't discount the possibility that they were closed on the boat. And therefore, he he changed the, the manner of death from accidental to undetermined. Undetermined because it was either, it, therefore it could either be accidental or homicide, okay? But there's no evidence for homicide. In my view, that was a political decision, not a scientific decision. Okay. You know, to 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 allow all these people who have who are concerned with the conclusion that it was accidental, because because when you think about it, let's assume, just for argument's sake, let's assume, okay that Natalie Wood and her husband, Robert Wagner, are arguing on the boat. He pushes her. She falls in the water, okay? 
All right. So first of all, she falls in the water. It's it's even if he purposely pushed her to fall in the water, you know, chances are it was would have been an accidental fall into the water. But even if he purposely, the question is, what does he do next? What would he do next? Mm-hmm. If it was accidental, he would try to get her out of the water, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. If if it was not accidental, he would leave her in the water. Fine. Now we have the dinghy. The dinghy was originally tied to the boat. Mm-hmm. It wasn't tied when they found it eventually, you know, 10 miles away or whatever. So it wasn't tied. That means somebody untied it. And now if he pushed, if he pushed an Adley Wood into the water accidentally otherwise, he would, I, I, I don't foresee that he would then go and untie the dinghy, you know? Uh, why would he do that? The only way to, un- the only reason to untie the dinghy would be, it's kind of like throwing you a life vest. Uh, you're in the water, hold on to the dinghy and, and get in, you know? So, but, but that doesn't sound logical to me. Mm-hmm. And, and and it does sound logical that she couldn't get in on her own because there was no ladder into the dinghy. <clears throat> there have been times when I fell out, out of a rowboat uh, and, and I, you know, I couldn't get back in, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because the water kind of pulls you down, you know, and, and so I can understand why she, you know, she would get, she would try, she would get all these bruising, can't get back in. Nobody knows she's in the water because they're all sleeping. It's the middle of the night and, uh, and the water's cold. Eventually she, you know, eventually she drowns. Right. So I can understand that scenario, but I can't understand the scenario where he would push her into the water, then untie the dinghy, and and you know, like it doesn't. It's not logical why why he would do that. So, so for me, as much as you know, we would like to uh, have some different outcome, maybe, but accidental sounds about right to me. Uh, and uh, and maybe as far as she she you know she, she wouldn't have gone in the water on her own because she hated. The water, well, you know, we don't know that much about that, you know. Maybe she said that once. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. But, but um, so that's kind of where it is. So, so it started off accidental, and you see two learned scientists, pathologists, one, one said accidental, another one says undetermined. And, and you see, but nobody said that she didn't drown. Right. Okay? The forensics is always, is, is usually very accurate because it's all based on scientific facts and measurements. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the matter of death is where the discrepancies lie. And that's where all the news media and all the public is fixated on. Because when they read my book <clears throat> and they say, well, I, I knew she died from a drug overdose or, uh, or, you know, or they drowned or whatever. Yes. <clears throat> that, but that's not, you know, the question is how that, how does the drowning Kill you, and how does the uh, drug overdose kill you? You know, mm-hmm. um, that's the the additional information, scientific information that you excuse me that you find in my book. So I find that very fascinating to yeah. with these. Uh, I I looked at twenty three famous people mm-hmm. by coincidence. They they wind up all to be in the entertainment field. I have it. People, people, uh, it's very exciting. People all over the world are reading the book. It, it's, it has hit number one bestseller 
in forensics in the United States, uh, on Amazon, the United States, UK, Canada, and Australia has about 535 reviews already. Hopefully we'll hit 600. Mm -hmm. just, to, I, just to give you an idea, my first book had The Death of Camp David had 49 reviews and I was very excited with 49. And here we are over 500. So everybody really loves it and they, um, they're buying it all over the world. And, uh, and needless to say, they all ask, so, when is the sequel coming out? And so they all, you know, as if it's so easy to write a sequel, so they all want a sequel. So uh, when I heard that, so the book is out now a, a, a little over a year, November was a year, and they, uh, they want me to write a sequel. Just give me one second. Sure. <clears throat> okay, so the, they want me to write a sequel. So, so I, as soon as they told me that about a year ago, I started writing the sequel. So I'm, I'm, I have now finished writing the sequel. I'm in the final phase where I'm just kind of reviewing, uh, you know, and, and editing. There'll be another five to. Well, probably six to eight months before it's actually out. But the interesting thing is, so this one is forensics, the science behind the deaths of famous people, primarily 23 famous people. Mm -hmm. The next one is going to be forensics two, the science behind the deaths of famous and infamous people. Cool. <clears throat> so in that one, <clears throat> we'll have 36 people. The current one has 23. The next one's going to have 36. <clears throat> Those 36 are going to be uh, people in, in various occupations, uh, not just entertainment. And and just to give you an idea, uh, and I'm, I don't want to give you too much, sure. but what's your appetite? The first chapter, so they're all arranged in chronological order of death. So the first one is going to be George Washington. Okay. And the last one is going to be Naya Rivera, uh, the actress from Glee. Yeah. Um, and and in between, we're going to have some, you know, in the entertainment field, we're going to have the uh, the Oklahoma City shooter uh, from the, the Tower shooter. Mm -hmm. We're going to have, have um, I'm sorry, let, let me back up there. We're going to have the um, University of Texas, Austin, Texas tower shooter, but we're also going to have the Oklahoma City bomber uh, in terms of infamous people. Mm -hmm. And we also, you know, and and, and, and several others, and Rasputin, uh, Gregory Rasputin. Um, so, as, and of course, on the entertainment side, we're going to have uh, Kurt Cobain uh, and, and many others. So I don't want to give the whole list today. Sure. But it's going to be 36 people. It's really going to be cool. Uh, I know you're all going to love it. Um, if, if, everybody, if anybody's interested, um, you can send me an email. I'll put you, I'll, I'll, uh, put you on my mailing list mm -hmm. to let you know when the book is out. The email, uh, my mailing address, email address is Milman Author, Milman, M-I-L-1-L-M-I-L-M-A-N, MilmanAuthor at gmail.com. Just send me an email. Tell me, you know, you want you want to get on my email list. 
and I'll, I will let you know when the and also where you're located because then I have several lists so I list them by location so mm -hmm. for example Florida and it just say uh, and then I'll put you on my mailing list so Millman author at gmail.com m-i-l-m-a-n author at gmail.com I'll put you on my mailing list let you know as soon as the uh, book is published it'll be available on Amazon and many online stores and if you want an autographed copy, which uh, I'll be able to provide at that time. I will, you know, when the book comes out, I will let you know how that, how, you know, how to get one. Um, so I, I, but I think I think it'd be cool. I think you're really going to be excited about the next book. Um, right now, <clears throat> I'm in Washington D.C. I'm, I'm in Maryland, uh, suburb of Washington D.C. So I've been having, you know, COVID seems to be getting in the way, but I've been having uh, book signings. Uh, 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 primarily locally in Maryland, Virginia, um, Delaware area. I just came back from Florida, but um, all of Barnes and Noble. But um, but you're welcome to find me on on uh, Facebook. Uh, just send me a friend request, Harry A. Millman. Harry A. Millman is my Facebook page. Uh, find me there. Uh, then you'll you'll be able to learn as much as you probably know more about me than I know about myself when you look at the uh, Facebook page. And like I said, just send me an email, millmanauthor at gmail.com. Thank you so much. I appreciate you coming on. And when that other book's up, we want to have you on again. Well, I appreciate it. It was really fun. Uh, I, I hope it was informative. It was. Uh, and, uh, and, and I'll be happy to speak about the next book, which, uh, like I said, it's going to be amazing. Sounds Thank good. You. Well, you have a good evening, okay? And thank you so much. Thanks again. I appreciate it. It was great okay. fun. Bye-bye. Okay, guys. I learned a lot. That was great to have him on. I really appreciate him coming on. Wow, he's got a lot of stories to tell. It's a lot of research that he did on that book. Tomorrow, uh, 6.30 p.m., our usual time, John, author John Kachuba is going to be with us. He's going to be talking about shapeshifters and other paranormal thingies like ghosties and all kinds of fun. So we're kind of shifting gears tomorrow. So uh, tomorrow, 6.30 p.m. regular time. If you like the show, share it with five people. If you hated the show, share it with five people. We are equal opportunity here at California Haunts Radio. And, of course, you can find us at CaliforniaHauntsRadio.com. And you can find our archives there as well. Now, if you're watching from YouTube, if, if you look down at the, at the right-hand corner of the video, you see a little ghost with a little hat on and a magnifying glass. Well, that is our mascot. That is also the way to subscribe to, to, to our shows and, and our YouTube page. So if you click on that, uh, it'll turn you into a permanent, to, well, not permanent, but, you know, a subscriber. So you can get alerts and stuff when we have new videos out and all that. So I would really appreciate that. Also, uh, the bottom, there's a ticker running. And as you can see, it's asking for cash. And the reason why is because the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team is a nonprofit team. So everything you see here from the computers to the Internet to the service to do the show to the lighting to the mics and all that good stuff all comes out of my pocket and uh, i want to keep these shows coming i want to have great guests on here like like mr millman and uh you know just keep this thing going and because i enjoy doing it i enjoy bringing it to you and i know you enjoy listening so if you could find it in your heart to donate a little bit to paypal.me at california haunts that would be great or if you have an issue with, with uh paypal we have a venmo and just go into venmo sign in and just type in california haunts and we're right there 
But again, you know, I, I, you know, I, I hate having to run that thing. I wish, I wish we were at the point where we were getting advertisers and stuff, but uh, we don't have, but we're not at that point yet. So we're working on it. We're trudging, we're getting ever closer to that, ever closer, ever closer. You guys are doing great. Just keep subscribing and keep us going here. So uh, I'd appreciate anything you, you could possibly donate. But anyway, I will see you tomorrow at. Let's see, I'll guess it back again. I'll see you tomorrow at six. It's been a long day. I'll see you tomorrow at six thirty p.m. Pacific. Okay. All right. I'm gonna go ahead and run um, Mr. Millman's website along with his books and where to get them. So here we go. Website forensicsfamous.com. Uh, And of course, the forensics, the science behind the deaths of famous people, Harry A. Millman, Ph.D. And he's got other books besides that, like we talked earlier, at Death at Cap David. So I use and a couple of, and a couple of other um, books you guys might be interested in there. And of course, you can go to Amazon and get those or. Uh, visit that website that we talked about earlier or go to his Facebook page and get info there on the books, just like, just, just like he said. Anyway, I will see you guys tomorrow and have a good evening.